Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're talking about the violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and what Pope Francis has said in response. Then we'll talk about a new change in canon law that opens two liturgical ministries to women for the first time. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a sunny but cold Rome, Colleen. Oh, it's cold and cloudy here. I kind of wish we had your sun. Uh, so, Jerry, uh, last week when we talked, you had to kind of, uh, you had to take a cab to the studio because Rome was in a pretty strict lockdown. What's going on with lockdown now? Well, after the 7th of January, we have a little more freedom, but uh, we'll know at the end of the week whether we'll have a new kind of lockdown or not. Reports on the daily number of cases and deaths, etc., are not comforting. Nothing like the States, of course, but uh, still for a population of 60 million people, 59 million people, we have about 16, average of 16,000 cases a day and four to 500 deaths each day. The high schools and the universities are all distance learning, so no students in in the classes. Down here in New Orleans, we are back in a a sort of modified phase one because we had a big spike after the holidays, but schools are still open. My husband's a teacher and he's he's been in class. They've all got masks and everything, but our cases are still, still way up and I don't know how much difference it'll make. Students under the age of 13, 14 are in school. But above that age, no. Um, Jerry, let's switch to talking about the Vatican. So uh, we've been talking about this upcoming. Uh, the Vatican is giving out its coronavirus vaccine starting this week. Pope Francis confirmed that he is on the list. And we've got a report this morning saying that Benedict wants to be as well. But this comes also as Pope Francis's personal doctor, Fabrizio Sicorsi, died of coronavirus complications. He had been in the hospital t- being treated for cancer. And then he caught COVID in the hospital and he died. He was 78. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about who he is. Well, Pope Francis appointed him as his personal physician in 2015. And uh, he's had a pretty prestigious career here in the hospital and universities, etc. But he, he lost his daughter in an accident last year, which was very sad. And the Pope comforted him. And But he's had uh, these cancer problems for some time. And he was taken into hospital on the 26th of December, and he died on the 9th of January. But they have confirmed that the death was caused by complications uh, provoked by COVID. I saw that when the doctor's daughter died, the Pope actually invited uh, Dr. Sikorsi to come to Fatima with him to, to place flowers at the Marian Shrine. That's correct. Um, Jerry, do we know anything about when Pope Francis will get his vaccine? My understanding is he will be vaccinated this week. And this is the U.S. Capitol tonight, a symbol of American democracy, supposedly a symbol of the strength of that democracy. But today, the building, the people within it, came under attack from Americans themselves. We're here in the Capitol steps right after the Trump speech was finished. People started filing over here. And start pressing against the Capitol. These are spraying mace. Today, the U.S. Capitol was overrun for the first time since 1814, and a woman died. 
Who could have seen this coming? Everyone? So Jerry, obviously, uh, this last week, you know, the world's eyes have been on the U.S. Uh, because on Wednesday, January the 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, in fact, a violent mob of pro-Trump insurrectionists stormed the U.S. Capitol. Uh, this was while members of Congress were inside certifying the results of November's presidential election, certifying Joe Biden's victory. Um, and they trapped the members of Congress inside. They were the members were led to a secure location, but they did a lot of damage to the building, breaking windows. Five people died. Dozens more were wounded. And the FBI has now found a bunch of improvised explosive devices in the area. And all of this is coming just before Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th. Um, and I know when you and I were talking this week, you know, you were telling me that that Italy's eyes were were locked on the U.S. too. And Pope Francis actually addressed the insurgency at the Capitol twice this weekend. He talked about it in an interview on Italian TV and also in his Sunday Angelus address. Uh, what what did he say? Well, he in the Sunday Angelus address, he said uh, he, he invited uh, the state authorities, in other words, those who have the governmental power in the United States, to exercise maximum responsibility. And he invited the entire population also to maintain the high sense of responsibility to soothe tempers or to calm souls, as it were, to promote national reconciliation and to promote the democratic values rooted in American society. Francis has been very concerned about what he's been reading and hearing from the United States. And he's been praying a lot for the people of the United States. And he said, uh, you know, nothing is gained by violence and much is lost. He then, that evening, on a television broadcast, which had been uh, recorded earlier in the week, he, he returned to the question of the uh, what was happening, the assault on the Capitol. And he, he condemned the, that assault and, he, and the movement that caused it without naming anybody, presenting from persons, but it was very clear. He says, you will have people who, if they feel that they're excluded from society in one way or another, will sooner or later take such actions. And so what he's pointing is that in any society, and he said it several times in other speeches not related to the United States, that if there's a whole sector in the society that feels they're not being given a fair share of what's happening in the society, they will rebel in some way or other. So let's talk about what, what the Pope thinks needs to happen now. Like, how do we do that moving forward in his view? Look, Colleen, there are two things. When I was watching all this, I, I remember I, I was in the press gallery in the Congress when the Pope addressed the, the joint session of Congress in September 24, 2015. Mm-hmm. And if you go and reread some of what he said there, it is amazing how how relevant it is. There is another temptation which we must specially guard against. The simplistic reductionism which sees only good or evil or, if you will, the righteous and sinners. And he, he said, 
we must confront and not allow the nation to be the world to be divided into two camps. And I was also reminded in January 2006, Benedict XVI addressed the diplomatic corps in the Vatican. And he spoke then, he said, truth is necessary for social justice. He says, what we are seeing is the lie parading as the truth, the parade of the lie. Right. A lot of people have been making references to, to Benedict's, you know, idea of the dictatorship of relativism, right? Which is basically this, which is coming to, to accept lies as truth. Um, they've been pointing to this in recent days and saying, look, Benedict told us that this was our sickness. Well, I was struck by this expression that the, per- the parade of the lie pretending to be the truth I think this is what we've seen. Absolutely. And so reading what has happened in the United States in these times, I think Francis's speech to the Congress, his address to the Congress, I think is well worth revisiting. Also, his talk to the bishops in in, in the cathedral when he said, you know, you must work for unity. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I'm afraid, you know, when everybody is... When a score sheet is taken, well, well, how, how will the, the, the result be? You know, have have the bishops been working for unity? Has the bishops' conference been working for unity? Has the church been working for unity? Has the Congress been working for unity? Right. And it has to be, as you said, a unity that's based on telling the truth, speaking the truth, right? And the thing that was really disappointing, you know, for, for a lot of Catholics in the States is that in response to this, we heard very little from the bishops, you know, pointing to what caused this insurrection? What caused this this attempted coup? Right? We saw we saw a lot of bishops releasing statements condemning the violence, saying they were praying for peace, but but very few referred to the fact that this violence was incited by the sitting U.S. president in an effort to subvert our democratic system. And I, you know, I've been mostly hearing people who are who are speaking the truth coming from outside of the states, right? Archbishop Coleridge from Brisbane, Australia, wrote in America that that the US bishops can't fall back on these old ways of engaging. They can't keep just releasing these tepid statements. You know, we need new ways to speak the truth and and interact with people and and overcome these divisions in a productive way. We can't we can't keep doing what we've been doing because it's not working. Well, the church can't be missing in action in such a big crisis. Right. Looking back, Colleen, I, I think, you know, the Second Vatican Council spoke about reading the signs of the times. And I think this has not been done very well. When we see now, there are many signs that things were going bad and getting worse. But uh, there was a lack of decisive action also on the part of the church in the face of this, I think. I mean, I'm not in the United States, so I can speak with less authority on this. But from what I've seen here, watching from outside, this is what I, it seems to me. Jerry, naturally, this conversation is also happening in the pages of America. This question about where do we go next? How do we solve these deep, deep-seated problems in our society that have now exploded so visibly? Um, so at americamagazine.org, our listeners can find a video from Father Brian Massengill on how this insurrection was undergirded by racial resentment and how to make spiritual sense of what's going on. He's got a video interview with our editor-in-chief and also an article along those lines. We have the piece from Archbishop Mark Coleridge. We also have 
an editorial calling for Trump's impeachment and conviction. And we have a summary of U.S. Catholic leaders' responses. So I'll link to those in the show notes. Our listeners want to learn more. With this motu proprio, Spiritus Domini, the Pope officially allows women to be part of the acolyte and lector ministries. The Vatican clarifies that it is not a step towards the priestly ordination of women, but a gesture to strengthen the role of the laity. Finally, the big news out of the Vatican this week was that Pope Francis has opened two liturgical ministries to women for the first time. Women can now be permanently instituted as lectors or readers and acolytes who assist with the sacraments and distribute communion. Now, if you're listening to this and thinking, wait, my diocese has been doing this for years, you're not alone. Uh, It's true that since the 1980s, church law has said that women could perform these functions, but it's been on a temporary basis at the discretion of the bishop. So this update to canon law that came on Monday, January 11th, changes two things. First, it allows women to be permanently instituted in these roles, which is pretty rare. It happens in a church ceremony, but not a lot of places have these permanent lectures or acolytes. And second, it means that local bishops can no longer put a blanket ban on women reading or distributing communion at Mass, which they've been allowed to do up until now. Uh, So, Jerry, what reasoning did the Pope give for making this change? Well, Francis goes back to Vatican II. He he sees that this is a logical development. Right, he called it a, a doctrinal development, right? Yes, it's it's a deeper understanding of the faith because Vatican II highlighted the importance of baptism in the lives of creatures. It's because they are baptized that one is able to do these uh, tasks. Now, after the Second Vatican Council, Paul VI restricted it more to only men because that was because the role of lector, that's reader at Mass, and the acolyte assisting the priest, etc., was seen as the bottom rungs of the ladder on the on the road to the priesthood. Right, they were like stepping stones toward ordination. Exactly, it said it was for men only. Mm-hmm. But I remember well, because I covered the 1987 Synod on the laity, Colin, there were a lot of people, and especially the bishops from the United States, saying, we want to have altar girls. And there was a strong reaction from many bishops and cardinals. I remember talking to Cardinal Cordero of Pakistan, for example, then, and he said, I said, Cardinal, why, what's the problem? He said, well, you know, if we have altar girls, they will be up there, dressed up at the Mass, and then they will get ambitions. And he said, many of us think they they will then want to become priests. So, So then, what happened at the Synod? They voted against it. And then I remember I was living near the Vatican then, and I went to Mass one Sunday evening, about five or six weeks afterwards, on the Church of Santa Maria in Transpontina. That's the one on the Via della Conciliazione, the street that leads up to the Vatican. I went in church in the evening, and there was an Italian bishop saying the Mass, and he came out with six altar girls. (laughs) Right after they had voted against it. Six weeks after the Synod had voted against it. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, John Paul II made an exception following a new requests from uh, U.S. bishops, but also from others. And uh, uh, in a response to a doubt, he, he said, yes, there can be an exceptional circumstances. So it's, always, it's been an exception to the rule because he knows from his, he's a pastor, he's been working in parishes and he knows right across Latin America, women are reading the scriptures in church, they are t- 
taking communion to the sick. They are girls, young girls are assisting the priest at the Mass as, as altar service. And so what he has done, he is saying that this is based on our baptism. Right. So Francis is really, he's making, he's putting the church law in harmony with with the existing practice. Yes, he, he's codifying what is actual practice in much of the church. Now, I think we should clarify a couple of things here. First, this doesn't really affect altar girls, right? This is altar servers and acolytes are different. One is kind of the the mature version, um, and they have a lot more responsibilities that you can read about in our in-depth article on this. Uh, but yeah, so this this doesn't actually affect altar girls directly, though it becomes more difficult for a bishop now to say, we can't have altar girls in the diocese when you can have a woman who's an adult being being the acolyte. Yes, but it's, it's really part of the same package. Uh, I, I think it's in a way, splitting hairs. I, I, I think here, Francis has taken what was strongly requested at the Synod for the Pan-Amazon, Amazonian Synod, where they asked explicitly for the recognition of ministries in the church that are open to lay men and women. And Francis is, is now codified this into law, that these are some of the ministries. There may be others later on. Uh, the question of the diaconate has, is still in discussion. But of course, the, the, the resistance will be among many people. If you have women deacons, then this, you know, you're, you're on the threshold of having the ordination of women as priests. This is something that we always hear whenever we're talking about women's roles in the church, Everyone, you know, there, there's always a certain group of people that says, oh no, this is a step towards ordaining women. But Francis actually, interestingly, kind of steps around that issue with this by saying, no, in fact, this is not a step towards ordination because it's rooted in baptism, not in holy orders, right? It's, it's no longer a stepping stone towards holy orders. Uh, the other thing is that in his letter that accompanied this decree, Francis actually referred to John Paul II's letter saying, his 1994 letter that said that the church doesn't have the power to ordain women priests. Like he, he specifically restated this. And I, I felt like that was in part to, to just get ahead of any of, of these questions of, is this a step towards ordination? He's saying it's not. He's, he's made this very clear several times. The church must recognize that the women have many roles to play in the church. And one of them is in the various ministries, and there may well be more ministries. And I, I will be really interested in seeing what develops in the seven countries in the, in the Amazonian region, because there they are pioneering. But I, I remember years ago going to churches just in Africa, in various countries, in South Africa, in, in Nigeria, and other places, and I saw the women were in positions almost running the church. In many places, and uh, Francis is well aware of this reality, and of course, uh, the development in the church uh, in terms of understanding more deeply the doctrinal questions, the, the faith, it, it takes time. Right, right. I mean, we're only a little more than fifty years after Vatican II, so you know it makes sense that we're still learning how to implement it. Yes, Francis always said it takes about a hundred years to implement a council. Yeah, And he sees his pontificate as carrying forward the baton of the council and implementing it in new ways, the, the teachings of the Vatican II. 
Yeah, I think the the one that stands out here is this teaching on you know the universal call to holiness and and this teaching also about um, the priesthood of the laity, right? Like by being baptized, all people are in some way priests, and we have certain ministries that are related to our baptism. I think that that's a very powerful thing to to acknowledge here and to use to then build church law on. Uh, if our listeners want to learn more about this change for women lectors and altar servers, you can read my explainer article, The History of Women Lectors and Altar Servers and What Pope Francis Has Changed at americamedia.org if you want to learn more. Yeah, that's a very good uh, piece you've done, the explainer, Colleen. Oh, hey, thanks. <laughs> All right, one last thing that we should mention before we go is that also in this interview on Italian TV that we were talking about earlier with the Capitol thing, um, we should note that that during this interview, Pope Francis cast doubt on whether he would actually be able to visit Iraq in March as is planned. Uh, he said that it's important to respect the coronavirus norms there. Do we think this is uh, a sign that it's going to be canceled or postponed? What do you make of this? Well, there's always been a question over the Iraq visit taking place so quickly that we're talking about the beginning of March. Because two reasons. One is the security question. Remember, bombs, missiles landed in Baghdad on Christmas Day. And uh, we know now that the ISIS has begun to re-emerge with the withdrawal of the American troops and with the COVID situation, they've begun to um, gather together and re-emerge. So that's security question. The second question is, of course, the COVID. We know that it is almost certain that the majority of people in in Iraq, in Baghdad, it said, we'll not have the, the vaccine by the beginning of March. I mean, even here in Italy, most people won't have the vaccine by the beginning of March. And Francis, in the television interview on Sunday evening, said, I cannot be responsible for bringing crowds together, bringing people together in big crowds because of the risk of COVID. He, he made very clear that that is a concern in his mind. My understanding is that by the end of next week, a decision will be taken on whether to postpone that visit. All right, well, we will keep our listeners up to date on what decision ends up being taken. Uh, you can stay tuned for that here on Inside the Vatican and always find Jerry's up-to-date coverage at americamagazine.org. Jerry, uh, gosh, you know, we've talked about a lot of a lot of heavy stuff, a lot of rapid changes that are happening in our world. I appreciate the chance to get to talk with you each week and try to make sense of it. Thanks. Well, it's good to be able to have some movement in life because there's a lot of lockdown. And so it's good to see that things are changing as well. That's right. All right, Jerry, we will chat with you next week. Thank you, Colin. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Production assistance from the Jesuit Curia in Rome. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamedia.org or follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also support our work by subscribing to America Magazine at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dudley. We'll see you next time.